What's going on, everyone? My name is Chris Tondevold, and this is Ambition Radio. This is a podcast where I interview indie artists, content creators, athletes, and small business owners who share how they continually discover and maintain a balance between their life, family, career, and the pursuit of their passions, dreams, or hobbies. In this episode, I welcome Miley Durham IV, aka Honest Lee. This was a great conversation as we get into his music journey so far, how much of an impact the band Morphine had, the idea behind Grow Room Interpretations Volume 1, Cure for Pain, and how he is constantly motivated by the music that inspires him to keep pursuing his own projects. Check out Grow Room Interpretations Volume 1, Cure for Pain, a song-for-song cover of the classic 1993 album by Morphine, which features a handful of DC's most prestigious acts, luminaires from the Grow Room Productions Galaxy, and one of New York City's most eccentric band leaders, all available at www.growroom.productions. 100% of the profits from this album will be donated to the Public Justice Center to stand up for the rights of underserved communities through legal advocacy. I'll have all the info in the show notes. As always, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts, follow me on Spotify, and share the show if you can. Thank you for everything. Here's the show. Enjoy. So I want to get into a little bit about your history, the the idea. It's Grow Room Productions, right? Yeah, Grow Room Productions. Okay. Yeah. I want to get into that. I also want to get into where the idea for the record came from. It yeah. also sounds like it's one in a possible series in the future. That's yeah, I, that's why I called it volume one. Fantastic. Leave it open ended. But I mean there are a few things floating around, but yeah, we can we can well, we can delve into some of that if we want. Cool, cool. I was able to listen to a little bit of it and I I really, really liked the idea of morphine, which I don't think gets talked about n- anywhere near enough. And yeah. then this idea of a, like a full tribute album, because from what I was looking at, like there's, there's so many tribute bands out there. There's so many like tribute shows, but I haven't yeah. seen really a whole lot of tribute albums in this idea going from song to song, recreating it the entire way. And cool. then Definitely putting your own spin on it, which yeah. I really, really a lot of people, it. yeah, a lot of people try to do it just like note for note. I I have a, b- a couple like uh, inspirational albums that uh, I heard from that, you know, kind of like getting the idea of doing the whole album because, like you said, it's a lot of times you know in covers you hear it as like a live thing, or someone will throw like one cover on an album or something like that. But to do the entire record down the line, like yeah takes a little a little extra to do something like that but yeah i there's a couple records that um i have uh that i took inspiration from so we can talk about that too or we can talk about it now if you want to (laughs) yeah let's go let's go ahead and get into it so we have the the grown productions i don't remember what it's called it's just the volume one of grow room interpretations interpretations that's what i was looking for Yeah, Yeah. yeah yeah So where did this idea for the project come up? Sure. Yeah. So I've just, I've been into morphine for a long time and I, I didn't even really hear them when they were first around in the mid nineties. I mean, I had seen reality bites in, in the theater with yeah, uh, yeah. My, my parents like back in the day. And, and I, I learned after the fact that like one or two of their songs were used in that movie. 
And, you know, obviously, I don't think it made an impression on me then, but I mean, the movie was cool, but I didn't know like a morphine as an entity even then. Sure. But then I, I heard the song Thursday on the Bob Dylan theme time radio hour show that he did around like 2005 or seven or something okay. like that. Maybe it was earlier than that. But yeah, so he had a, I don't know if you're familiar with the, the radio show he did. No. Yeah, it's amazing radio shows on Sirius XM. He did like three full seasons of it. Really? And okay. Yeah, it's amazing. You got to look it up. So every, every show had a theme, theme time radio hour. And so one of the, one of the themes was days of the week. So okay. he played, he okay. played the song Thursday among, you know, Monday, Lead Belly and some other stuff, you know, some other stuff that you would think that he would normally like, right, be into right. play. Morphine was kind of out of left field because, you know, I was into all the music from that. Dylan was playing anyway, but then the, this song Thursday came on and it was totally left field. It seemed like, and the sound of it just instantly grabbed me, you know? Yeah. It's just stripped down visceral, like lyrics, you know, like something that's not usually like talked about or sung about really, you know? Yeah. The whole record is very open and honest. Yeah. It goes into some, some deeper stuff that a lot of us are dealing with right now. Right, yeah, and I think have been for you know modern yeah. hu- humanity. Yeah. A lot of people, you know, like uh, and you know songs like "I'm Free Now" or just like your your head, the doubts going running through your head at all times, you know, yeah. stuff like that, telling yourself you're not good enough or whatever, and you know people and relationships that you know you want to take to the grave or whatever, like with candy and all that, <laughs> and like stuff like that. You know, it's just like things that people would be going through. But the way Mark Sandman would write about it would be just, like you said, just completely open and honest and just tell you exactly what he's thinking. Yeah. So I just like, I heard Thursday and then I kind of just went into a morphine, like deep dive after that and just like tried to hear everything. But of course that song was from the album Cure for Pain. Yeah. So I, you know, I got that album like immediately and listened to it almost nonstop. But so, yeah. So then... I had the idea. Well, I, I the, the original the the single that we have out. The first single was Deborah Bond singing mm-hmm. the title track "Cure for Pain," and I had originally kind of heard this arrangement of it in this six eight soul ballad sort of thing, like a Otis Redding or Etta James yeah. style. So that's like that was the first inkling of how I I was like, okay, well, let me just mess around with it. And then I I recorded a demo of it, and I was looking through my files. It, the demo was in 2013. Oh wow! <laughs> <laughs> Time goes by. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, and then I originally like you know I was playing with a lot of bands. Growing Productions was not like fully like in the resurgence, but we were recording a lot, and I was playing a lot. And I had originally one of the one of the guys that we sing with, or that was in a band that um, sings in one of the was singing in one of the bands that I was playing with at the time to sing it. And he had a way more gruff voice. Okay. So I originally thought of it as kind of like this Otis Redding soul ballad meets Tom Waits. That yeah. was like my original sort of feel of it. Which is not really what happened. But yeah, because <laughs> the... What, what is her name again? Can you... Deborah Bond. Deborah. Deborah Bond has an amazing voice and belts everything and is... Yeah. Listening to the original version of this and then hers back to back is yeah. just like she she almost owns the whole thing, and yeah. her her voice is so spot on for that style that it's it's almost perfect. 
Yeah, exactly. Like she's, she's done so much like R and B I would say, and like, you know, soul inflected, like, I don't really want to go with the Neo soul route with hers. Cause hers, sure. she's really got like a more of like a hip hop kind of Orin Hill R and B sort of back name, yeah. like SWV or something like that. And, but like her voice fit this retro kind of style, like so, so, so well. And I mean, it's like, it's straight gospel almost. So, you know, yeah. it's like, it would make sense. But yeah, so that that's the way it ended up happening was Deborah came came in and did it through the connection was made through the guitarist on the track, Zachary Cutler, which okay. originally on my demo I'd played everything and had MIDI horns on it and stuff. And but then Zachary, he came through and I I knew him from playing with some people. And I'd actually met Deborah playing with him, you know, in like a non-gig, this gig that was done many moons ago and i i had i just played these three or four songs with them and Mm -hmm. then we'd like deborah and i didn't talk like we talked after that but that night but then we didn't like talk to each other at all i would i'd follow what she was doing yeah yeah but i doubted i doubt she even remembered me you know after that (laughs) gig i mean we had fun on the gig but you know you know how it is like yeah don't really like fully you know think about it after the fact especially just a lowly drummer you know for sure but so then but zach made the connection again and put it put her together and she like every inflection that she made every phrasing choice she made was like exactly what was in my head and i never had to communicate that to her that's amazing it was crazy yeah it was insane so i mean and she even added the the part where it's like a chorus of women singing the, where the wise women went part. yeah i didn't i didn't think of that but that worked so perfectly and, it's amazing uh, when like two people can really like hit it off get the chemistry and then even elevate themselves too right yeah exactly yeah so then i got my friends who i played with in funk arc and the harry bells to, to the horns cut the midi horns and have them <laughs> do it so man it it, it sounds really good I, i've liked the production on all of this stuff so far awesome. that i've listened awesome. to and you're picking from elite DC musicians for sure. And then you have some folks from New York too, I believe, right? Yeah. Yeah. So there's one band leader who I played with also in Funk Arc when I was with the band for five years or something, four or five years. And he had just come off a tour with the Easy Dub All-Stars. Okay. Nice. And uh, yeah, they're... they're great band also doing they did full cover albums actually right, right. <laughs> but yeah. it was always live they, they would do it live and record it i think right yeah, yeah i think did, so because uh, that's that's what was kind of throwing me off like there's the 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 punk ghost pop or, or stuff like that but mm-hmm. i haven't really heard a, again like a full album cover like this i can't even think about it but i have seen like tribute shows like there was one at the Black Cat years ago for Radiohead. And it was yeah. phenomenal seeing all the different interpretations harkening back to the title about like all the different ways that people really take that music, put a different spin on it. And there was the, I think it's Crawling Up the Walls that had like this reggae beat that they had with it. And it was yeah. just fantastic <laughs> and really like got into it. But I've only seen that in like a live show. Right. Rather than a record, so for the the record that you were doing, was there an idea of to do a live show first or the record first? No, no, it was always just a recording project. Really, I don't think I'd be able to pull off like 
getting everyone together one right. night to do it. I mean, even before you know COVID or whatever, I don't think I'd be able to <laughs> to really get anybody, you know, everyone together. Especially, I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm involved in six of the productions on this album anyway. Like, I would have to clone myself or something. You got to play on everything all the time. Yeah, the never leave. That's right. Um, it would test my dedication for sure, <laughs> and, like, and just to just to have everybody like because a lot of people also like Aslan Janeiro Ranguez. He recorded his part. That's all him playing every instrument. Like the one we just talked about, the New York contingent of MK 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 like cameras. Yeah. He that's him playing every instrument. Like, that's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Like you know, if you can do it, go for it. David Beach. On his one, he played upright bass and all that, and the drums and everything. All that's all him. I can't think if there's anyone else on the album. Well, the honestly one that I did with Frank Mitchell singing, I did everything. I played every instrument on that except Frank sang and played the saxophone. Nice. Yeah. So, but yeah. So there's no way. And like you know, I added like a French horn in there and like (laughs) two guitars. I mean, I could. I guess you could get like a band to play that stuff, but it wouldn't. wouldn't, Yeah, just press a button. Press a button on the computer and then walk away. No, yeah, I didn't. I didn't want to do that. So yeah, so I mean, you know, it was never like a like a live thing. That never really had to enter my mind. Even though there's like you said, a lot of a lot of people doing that in a live setting. No, the the records. There's a couple records like Spin Magazine did a couple. They they did uh, Sticky Fingers, where they would get all the, the. They did a couple where they would get a bunch of different artists together to record the whole album. And put it together. They did Sticky Fingers and they called it Sticky Soul Fingers. Nice. And it was all soul renditions. So they had like Alice Russell, they had Sharon Jones, they had Charles Bradley on there. Or I mean, Charles Bradley wasn't on that one. But. You're going to make me listen to all of this. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's incredible. <laughs> like I listen, I listen to a lot of like mostly a lot of right now instrumental, like heavy, hardcore stuff or awesome. metal stuff. Mostly just like moody stuff that I can use to listen to while I edit or anything like that. And I always forget like soul has this way to just like pull you into it and you just, you fall in and you just get swept up by the the vocals first, I feel like. And then a lot of the, the way that the music works and is driving and trying to like build into something almost always. Like that's that's what I love, and I always forget because I'm yeah, yeah. always just listening so over to the right side. Going on, yeah. like it's just like pouring out of them. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. But yeah, yeah I, so like the the idea of like a, a sticky soul fingers would be pretty phenomenal. Yeah. I feel like. <laughs> yeah, but then there was also another one that they did that's been put out, which was Purple Rain. They they read it all of Purple Rain, and it was all over genre wise. Sharon Jones had a song on there again also, but it was like, there's bands that I'd never heard of. And that's what I really like about the, the full album compilations that I've heard. Uncut Magazine does them too. I think they did a couple Beatles ones they put together. I know one of the, one of the latest ones that I remember seeing that they did, read it, they read it Physical Graffiti. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. And that was, that was really cool. And they always do it around like an anniversary or something of the album. So there's there's been and they've done a couple Dylan albums too, Uncut and the Uncut magazine. And then so, but like people, it's like these people that have, you know, it's a magazine. And I don't know if they're they must be paying the people, the yeah. artists to do it or something, but you know, they have somewhat 
unlimited resources, you know, to be like, Hey, you like, this is exposure for you guys. And we're going to give you a little bit, I'm sure. But like, this is going to go out to everybody that has this magazine and it's going to go out online and everything, you know, and people are going to be involved in it. So that's like, kind of like the way that they can get it done. For me, it took four and a half, four and a half, five years (laughs) to get it done. And just like, you know, bartering, bartering with people. Yeah. But once, most of the time, once I told people that it was a, for, for a charity, everybody was, was kind of on board. And, uh, you know, I did, I did end up paying a few people out of pocket, but like, sure. you know, for the most part, people were, were, were more than happy to donate their time and their talent. What um, is the charity again? It's Public Justice Center. They're, they're actually, after the fact, I found out they're based in Maryland. And, I think in uh, Baltimore area, if I yeah, remember right. Yeah. And so they they kind of help systematic racism through legal representation. It was kind of like an ACLU, kind of yep. what ACL, ACLU does on a on a nationwide um, scale. And I just I just kind of found them. I, I subscribed to the Week magazine. Okay. And they every every week they highlight a charity that's been fully vetted by a, this charity or this charity betting organization and they they had them in there and when i was going through i was trying to figure out so the idea to cover the whole album and to give it all to charity was a simultaneous idea for me well that was nice yeah <laughs> i just figured like the 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 title of the album is cure for pain and i feel like the at that time the the opioid crisis was like really big and yeah. there's a lot of like you know it was it was getting a lot of attention and i thought that it'd be a good idea to just like do the album and then give all the proceeds to a charity that would deal with the opioid crisis and yeah i'm in sorry to cut you off i'm in southern maryland and it's still yeah bad down here right it's so still, i definitely yeah. get it yeah yeah i mean and it, it even is like and I, I have a good friend whose brother was you know totally hooked and everything and like you know and saw the toll that it would take on his life yeah, And so it was kind of like, yeah, you know, we wanted to do something. But then someone I was involved with to almost do a track was saying, and this wasn't the reason that they ended up not doing the track, but they said, well, if I do this, I'd also like you guys to give some money to crack epidemic. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then that kind of was like a light switch went off in my brain that like, you know, the opioid crisis affects a certain segment of America, but this whole other segment of America is getting is is affected by you know what happened in mm-hmm. the eighties and nineties through crack, so and it's still affected by that too, and you know it's still on the street really. I mean, so at that time I was like, well, let's take a step back and see if we can get it to to be like more social justice issue, yeah. yeah. And so then I found the public justice center, and to tell you the truth, I haven't actually reached out to them. Okay, so I'm just gonna. You know, sometime after the album comes out, I, I already have been able to sell some CDs. I've, I've, I have a, a relationship with the people that run this delivery service in DC where cool. they will deliver whatever to you. And they bought CDs. So I've already got, you know, a good chunk of change to give to Public Justice Center. But we're nice. going to wait to see, like, you know, how that does in the first three months and then send them, you know, some money and we'll see what they say. I might reach out to them by the time that happens, but yeah, you know, so yeah, the idea was just kind of simultaneous to make 
that happen. And that idea was five. <laughs> well, you know, when I did that demo to 2013, I think that was kind of around the idea. Well, I had the demo kicking around and then I was like, you know, I really wanted to do that, but I, I thought it was weird to just put out one song or whatever. Right. So then I thought, well, let's try to do the whole album. And then that's when it came. Yeah. Full idea. Which is kind of funny now, because if you look at it, you know, fast forward eight years later, a lot of people are just putting out singles. They're not yeah, doing exactly. whole albums. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know what true. I mean? So like there's, there's definitely a complete shift now to where most of, most of uh, everybody now is trying to do singles and like work the algorithm and, and do yeah. the whole like social media and SEO yeah. and all that stuff that I don't care about. But yeah. Yeah. smarter people I've, than me. I've, do. I've never been on there either, but yeah. <laughs> you know, we've, we've started trying to put out like a single, another single and then the album. You yeah. Know? But I, I don't, I don't just make a song and then because I'd rather have like it leading up to something like it did in the old days. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> Awkward for me because I still remember buying CDs, tapes, and yeah. or the the CD single. Remember when yeah, they had the exactly. CD single with four songs on it? Yeah, <laughs> I was upset about that a couple times because I was like, "Oh, this is the whole thing." No, it's two songs. Uh, but <laughs> there'd always be a cool song on there or something like something that was like a little different than the album track or whatever, for sure. You know? Yeah, it's the one that you cared about, and then the other one they were just like, "We're gonna mess with you a little bit." So <laughs> yeah, buckle up, enjoy. We have your full attention, so we're going to mess around with it. Now, I, I like that because, like I said, I mean, I, I remember full albums. And in the age of streaming, it's a lot different now. And that's, I think that's one of the other things that I like about this project is that it wasn't just a couple songs here and there. It yeah. was the reimagining of this whole album or the interpretation of this whole album, which I, I really like. So I want to step back a little bit. I want to get a little bit more history from you. Like, when did you start playing music? Oh, okay. Yeah, way back. Yeah, I mean, I started playing uh, trumpet in like fifth grade. Okay. <laughs> Parents were very encouraging, but I was, I was terrible. I was very bad. <laughs> but I ended up playing trumpet all the way through like junior year of high school. And that is not a quiet instrument <laughs> to be bad at. I mean, I might as well have just played violin and just been terrible and then <laughs> thrown it away. Like, it's like, you know, but no, I, I played trumpet and then about two or three years later, I picked up guitar. My dad had had a guitar and he played guitar a little bit. And then drums was like the first thing to come in that I really like got onto that I was really able to like get my sound out on or whatever. And I would just like crank up Soundgarden, Nirvana, Jimi Hendrix, like, you know, and just like play along to it. And like, that was... That was how I learned to play the drums. I did, I took two dress, two lessons, and then eventually some people came over and they want to play, and we, you know, like just like show them on that same stuff. I remember playing like "Come as You Are" and then "Hey Joe" and like you know stuff like that, and just like. But you learned playing through the records by ear, almost. Yeah, I mean, with drums, it's like you know, <laughs> you're just banging on stuff, and then you kind of figure yeah. out where what what thing to bang on at the right time and all that. It's much different than learning a melodic instrument by ear. <laughs> sure, sure. I just feel like drums are also a very loud instrument to be bad at. Well, that's the thing. I wasn't bad at it to start. No, perfect. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> well, if you're there if you're able very... to play along with the recordings that you're hearing by ear, that's that's not too bad. That's not too yeah. bad. I mean, you know, like smells like Teen Spirit or whatever. You know, it's just like doo, doo, sure. I can't do that. <laughs> yeah. So then, 
yeah, I mean, the two drum lessons I took was like, you know, this hand plays this drum and this hand plays this drum and this yeah. foot there and this foot there. And then that was kind of it. And then I just like kind of took it off from there. And then we just started, I just started like playing with people in high school. I had a band. It was very much like a, like a pop punk, like but not, not too hardcore, but like definitely some faster, like tempo stuff. And sure. we ripped through it and that was fun. Like a couple, couple of years, two, two or so years in high school. And then I, joined this band called guys and ties which was in my like junior senior year of high school which was uh fronted by now international superstar joe pug (laughs) i don't know if you're familiar with his music i Um, know the name i don't know the 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 music yeah yeah i mean i'm i'm you know inflating but you know he's very well known within this kind of like like bob dylan descendant like you know like folk folk rock sort of sort of thing more more on the folk side right he definitely like and, and he's in, in got some country stuff in there too but guys and ties was a straight cover band we would play like uh gloria uh, and then respect and then like no doubt spider webs and like stuff like that i and, like the uh, mix up i like that yeah That's it was good. it was totally just like whatever like we played some led zeppelin and like you know, and and it was a horn section too. We had a big band. It was a big band. Oh, okay. So you're uh, able to actually do all the the soulful horns. You're able to yeah. do even like the the spiderweb horns. If, yeah, exactly. So, so that's very of, cool that you don't yeah, really see that too much, yeah, especially outside at of high, like a scabbing. high school, right? Yeah, and, yeah, 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 it wasn't. It wasn't. We didn't play. I'm thinking if there was any like straight up Scott. I guess spiderweb is kind of like a straight up Scott song, but like, um, not even really. But like, yeah, right. we we just like kind of just like added horns to whatever song was, you know, we were doing, but yeah, we did like, I feel good, James Brown and like some other things. It was, it was a bunch of, it was a bunch of gigs that we did around that time. I remember playing New Year's Eve 2000 to 2001, like <laughs> with, uh, with that. When band. the whole world was going to end or, or exactly. no, that was 99 yeah. to 2000. I'm sorry. Right. Maybe that was it. Well, a long time ago. So well, yeah. 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 But yeah, anyway, so, so then I got, got kind of got hooked on playing with the big band and I played with a couple other like, you know, trios and stuff around and some friends. And then I kind of like stopped playing music for a while. I was okay. really, I was not really like, I don't know. I kind of like just, I was kind of bored of playing with the trio, I think, and playing just like, it was kind of like getting on the jam scene where we were playing like at like these festivals at West Virginia and stuff like okay. that. It, was, it just wasn't very, I don't know. It just wasn't really grabbing me as much. And then, so we just started producing music, me and my friend. Nice. Okay. And we, yeah, so we got it. We got a tape machine. And so a couple of friends of mine, we, we were, we had, we took recording engineering classes in high school too. Okay. So we like kind of had, and we had, and uh, someone I knew or myself always had a four track Tascam recorder. Nice. And we would record on that and then turn the tape over and record backward stuff and, you know, like all that stuff and just like, you know, mess with the pitches and the dials and record, you know, bounce everything to tracks. Like we were doing like stuff the Beatles were doing. We didn't even know we were doing it, you know? Yeah. Patient is the mother of essential <laughs> invention. I mean. Inven- necessity. Necessity, yeah, limitation, the- same thing, right? right? Yeah. So, I, I can imagine that though, <laughs> just just trying to go through and like figuring out what little knobs do what, and then yeah, you're yeah. just like, oh yeah, we're the Beatles now, we're better. <laughs> exactly. So we we messed around and did some stuff, and then we were just into like recording, and 
I remember. I mean, and we were also like into hip hop at the same time. Yeah. So we we would like make hip hop, and I remember when I got a computer that would do this stuff, and I would just like make hip hop beats and sample things that like you know definitely you couldn't sample, like Jimmy Page guitar riffs and like (laughs) yeah, probably a lot easier on the computer (laughs) than a four track. I feel like. yeah. I was I was never able to make like that kind of stuff on a four track like on tape, but whenever I got a computer, then it was like then it was on. Yeah, but yeah, so we had a tape machine as well, like a eight track reel to reel half inch tape, and um, so we recorded a few things like that, and nothing really, you know, we we didn't really nothing really came of it. But around the same time, when I started getting back into playing music, I started a band with eight other people called the Mighty Herd, so and it's it was, all or nothing for you, right? Yeah, I guess. Yeah, can't. Can't do it, but you know, we we like it started with like just a couple of us jamming, and then we decided that we wanted to go, and it was all this like funky stuff. We decided we wanted to go kind of like the James Brown. We kind of wanted to marry like James Brown, Miles Davis, and Fela Kuti together, and so we. I'm good with all of that. I like, yeah, right. <laughs> Why not? So we 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 tried to get some vocalists and some people that I that I worked with. This guy, he just like singing in the back of the kitchen. We were working in the kitchen and he was just singing. And I'm like, yo, you want to come by? And like, we'll see what's up. And he, he knew some people that he was already playing with and we kind of okay. merged the band. And then, you know, that kind of took off a little bit from 2005, 2006 to, we played all the way through 2011 or 12. Oh, um, wow. Okay. Yeah. And like played like a bunch of local festivals and uh, we actually made it down to Miami and played the Miami Music Festival. Nice. And uh, yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. And and it, at one point it was like twelve people. We had uh, three horns, percussion, two percussionists, two backup singers, and the two the main singer and a and a hip hop vocalist and guitar and bass and drums. And it was just like and uh, keys at one point too. So it was just like a lot to throw at people, and that was like a great sound, and it was it, it was fun just to be an int- just like a, a a puzzle piece, you know, right? Not necessarily have to like come up with everything or whatever. Yeah. Just like sit there and just like play and have it all happen around you, and then you can kind of jump in here and there. When you play with those bigger bands, you have to think about the venues that you book at that point to try to yeah. fit everybody in there. You you should we should right? think you about should. that, but we we didn't really think about that. We were like, oh, we got a gig, great, let's go play. We didn't. Nobody goes to scope it out first. Sure. We stuck eight eight to ten people on tiny tiny stages before. I've some seen people, it, and some some people would be you know in front of the stage, like in front of the monitors, like they'd have to bring the monitors down off the stage so that like we could play. I could see that, but okay. yeah, <laughs> but anyway, that's kind of where Grover Production started from, kind of out of that band, the Mighty Herd. It was just that band was kind of going and we wanted to record stuff and we had all the, this knowledge of recording, but we knew that we didn't want to like shop our stuff around to a record label. Or sure. Whatever. Like we weren't trying to do that. So we just decided what if we try to like put it together, record ourselves and then try to get it out. And we actually never really got anything out. We, we recorded and did like, we would hold these parties and we would make CDs and kind of hand them out then. But we put out some stuff. I, I can check the band camp, but I think the earliest things that we put out was 2009 or something like that. Okay. okay. And that was like band camp 
was kind of new on the scene, I think, at that time. Yeah. And yeah, and they're, they're, that was the model. They were like, just put out your music. We were like, that's what we want to do. We want to just put out our music. So, and it can go directly to people. And I mean, at that time, there was no Spotify or whatever. I think iTunes was even in, in its infancy. Yeah. The only thing that I can think of during that time would be MySpace, actually, for music, which is still weird to say because it's very much dead. But I remember, yeah, you used to put up, you used to be able to put up a song or two or exactly, three. Right? On, on exactly. Yeah. When, yeah. so I, I was booking concerts in Southern Maryland for a while. And right that's where I got a lot of my contacts was I can just literally message bands yeah. that I really liked. And it was just like, oh yeah, come play for me, which was really still weird. Like I, I, I reached out to Pygmy Lush, who's, from the Sterling and played a bunch of DC and, and Baltimore. But they were like, yeah, $80. We'll come down. No problem. <laughs> I was like, are you sure? You guys are like professional, I think. That's all you want. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it, it was a dual-edged sword for me. It was like, oh, you can actually talk to these people. And then, oh, most of them are pretty cool and they only need some gas <laughs> money and they just want to play shows and yeah. like, get out. Yeah. 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 I mean, we, we never, we, we had like one kind of standing gig at that time where we would have a guarantee. And that, that was just because it was such a big band. Yeah. And that was in College Park, like, you know, where, you know, they were doing multiple thousands of people or whatever a night. And, you know, they would definitely take in, you know, so they were able and we were able to negotiate or whatever. But I'm sure it was way under what they would be paying a band oh, I'm sure. or whatever. But yeah. But yeah. So we, and we knew we weren't going to make any money from it anyway. We weren't even really sure. trying to make money from it. We were just trying to get the music out there to an audience that may or may not enjoy it. And so, and then at that time, we had like a couple other bands that were jumping out of the Mighty Herd too, a couple different people. And okay. then, so it was just kind of revolving around us and the, the bands that we did. It was the Mighty Herd. And then the first actual CD that we put all together and released through CD Baby was... Uh, from a band called Savage Badger Badges. Savage Badger Badges? <laughs> yeah, that was the band. Okay. Name. <laughs> okay. I just wanted to make sure I heard that right because it's yeah, not a name yeah. that you hear at right. all, I don't think. No. Yeah, that was kind of like it was it's kind of like it was circus punk metalish like sort of thing. Keys, bass, vocals and drums. So it was very stripped down but like at the same time and just stupid songs like you know things murder burgers was like the big hit you know? i love that. that it just sounds like it would be a fun time yeah oh yeah that was all it was about was just having fun and that was another band that was playing you know here and there too so we we, we decided that we'd get the cds out and that was cool you know so that was kind of growing productions first outlet because okay. the mighty herd album we finally finally we recorded it in 2009 2010 and i pushed very hard to have it finally released 2020. So <laughs> we finally got it out. And it was Grown Productions' first uh, vinyl release as well. So. Well, there you go. There's a first for everything. But you got you to gotta give it time to breathe, right? I think that's right, what that yeah. is. <laughs> Let the music breathe. Yeah, it? like a Let good talk wine. To you. Just wait 10, 20 years and it'll be better. <laughs> so the Cure for Pain release might also be a vinyl. I'm not, I'm not 100% sure. It depends on kind of how the funds are working out and all that stuff. But, you know, that'd be another thing that I would want to give a portion of that to a charity as well. For sure. Yeah. And the other thing about the Cure for Pain release is that I knew always that it, I wanted to get the original 
morphine members blessing at least like yeah so i was i was able to reach out to a dana collie saxophonist from morphine and he he had got back to me and said he was cool with with us releasing it so as long as we got the licensing and and that so we just like paid a nominal fee to to make sure that any you know royalties, royalties or whatever, whatever that yeah. comes from the show from the songs go to sandman's publishing so and so that's all taken care of which i think is really cool I wouldn't I, if if he had said no. I don't want this out there. I would have shelled it, and I'd been listening to it myself. You know, they just <laughs> I was, you know, it was almost done at that time. I had enough where I could put together a preview, like of like twenty seconds of each song, and send sure. it. So I found I got in touch with him and the and the manager for the band that they have now called Vapors of Morphine, which they play a lot of morphine, and they, they I mean they don't play that often, but they, you know, they play morphine and other songs that they from that kind of repertoire but yeah so that was that's kind of like growing productions and then 2015 we decided to start like really putting out music sure so 2015 we put out igloo 2 first ep and then and that, that that's me and a friend of mine the same friend of mine that we had gotten the, the tape machine together we kind of had the same ideas about you know where the music where we wanted to do it finally and we were able to get it together and put out 14 or 12 song EP. <laughs> We're, you're really stretching the idea of an EP, I feel yeah. like. <laughs> but they're all short songs. And then, so then in, and then in 2016, I was playing with a couple different bands and recording a lot. And so then we put out about an album a month for like the last half of 2016. I feel like that's insane. So we put out Three Man Soul Machine, full length album, we put out a remix EP of the Harry Bells. Put out the Slanginous first album, which is kind of like an EP of six songs, and the Darazi album, and there was something else in there too that we put out in 2016. And then so it got, I just kind of keep the ball rolling. And at that time, I had no idea like that you should try to like have a cycle for each album that comes out, <laughs> <Yeah>. like <laughs> you know, like strategy. It, yeah. yeah, exactly. Like I had no idea. It's just like put it out. I found a, a distribution company. It's just like so easy now. You just kind of upload it, and then they they put it on every you know platform, uh, yeah. yeah, every digital platform. So and at that and that was like a nominal fee for each one. Yeah, but I've I've since found a different distribution company that has no upfront fees. So oh, well, that's just like awesome. Yeah, yeah. So now it's just like put out the music. Don't even worry about it. Get it together. I feel like that might be even more dangerous because you're not really like. You you try to think about the releases, I would assume now maybe. Yeah. And like yeah. the build up for it and all that now stuff. Now I do. Yeah. But when you're playing, you want to get it out for the most part. Like when you yeah. figure out, oh, this actually records nice. This sounds yeah. nice. Someone needs to hear it. That's not me. Yeah. Absolutely. You just want to get it out right away. That's kind of where I was with the cure for pain. Like, but I just like I had learned enough at this at this point with putting out, you know, music for the past six years or whatever, kind of nonstop that I wanted to let this go. So like Deborah finished her track and that was one of the last tracks we did okay. in, in October of last year. Oh, so wow. that's almost okay. been a year since she's recorded that thing. And then I, I had it all mixed and mastered early this year. So how was the recording process then with the pandemic and the, the yeah. throes of that last year? Well, that was actually, it helped us out a little bit because we were able to actually, most the musicians that I had signed on to do the tracks now didn't have any other obligations. 
And so I could stay on them, you know, like without saying, oh, well, you know, I'm sorry you're playing here this weekend, but can you get this track done? Like, yeah, right. You know, now I was like, hey, you know, you're not really doing anything and it'd be nice. And, and, and I, and that's when I, I, I offered people some money too, because okay. I knew that, like, yeah. you know, you're, you're not playing shows and, for a lot of these people, this is their their livelihood. So yeah, they go from sixty to zero real quick. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I wanted to make sure that like you know people, if they needed to be, were compensated for it, and yeah, and that definitely helped like push it towards the finish line. The pandemic, and you know, we were able to record some things piecemeal as well, mm-hmm. which helps in a sense, you know, to get things um, done at least. So. You know, people can take forever to. I mean, I'm I'm definitely one that will re-record, re-record, re-record. If I'm just recording stuff on my own, I'll just be like, "Yo, that wasn't good enough. Let's go back." Yeah. You know, okay, again and then again, <laughs> like until I get something that's good enough, or like even like pick up a, a two-bar section and record that over or whatever. You know, it's like, but when you're in the studio, and I was able to record in a couple of different studios, mostly at American University, actually, okay. for a lot of the, for a lot of the things we did. That I was involved in, and also Backbeat Underground did their track at American University. They have a program there. I don't know how when it's going to come back up, but they would they have a recording engineering class, right? Right. And they have a world-renowned studio. I think it was built by the same people who built Electric Lady Studios, like the same studio designer. Yeah. And they so for the class they invite bands or musicians from the area to come in, and you basically get a free recording session. But the students run the session. So, you know, and the, the main the main instructor is there, but you know, he's trying to have a very hands-off approach yeah. and have the students do basically. And there's a TA too that kind of is like the producer or sure, engineer sure, or whatever. Sure. So you know that the people know it's not going to be a total wash. Yeah, because um, that is that is kind of a, intimidating a little bit if you're going in there and being like, why are there just kids trying to record yeah. me when <laughs> yeah. I've been playing for all this time in my entire life? And yeah. do they know what they're doing? I can show them. I know how to do it. Right. Exactly. <laughs> for some of this stuff, I was like, you don't need to put the mic there. Like, move it back a little bit. Like, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. And the saxophonist always, you know, is telling them, like, it, it, not shy about speaking up about mic placement. Because you're like, you're not going to get a good sound from the saxophone if you put it there and all that. Sure. But yeah. so we, I, I've been pretty lucky to be able to be going in there and recording stuff for years now. So then when I came, when I, when I had this project and I was like, and I was kind of, I don't have, I didn't have my studio built. Like we, we had a studio in the house where the Mighty Herd was living and we recorded okay. that. And then I moved out of there and I just had like a room where I was, you know, producing like a producer room or whatever. Yeah. And then so, but now I, I converted my shed into a studio. So I have a live room and a control room now. That's got to feel pretty good. It feels great, but I haven't had anybody in here yet. So, <laughs> but that'll change very soon, I, I think. Anyway, so then I was able to like, you know, hook them up with, with free recording at American University when we needed it, which was very cool. Yeah. That's got to um, be a, a nice little uh, safety blanket almost at that point, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Just to say, how am I going to get this done? The, how else, you know, I don't have a studio. How else am yeah. I supposed to get it done? Yeah. But then uh, one of the guys who I enlisted to play on um, the track with Gordon Sterling and mm-hmm. Candace Mills um, is Don Godwin, who's an engineer at Tunnel Park. Okay. Um, in Tacoma Park, used to be Airshow Studios. And that's a world renowned studio. And uh, so 
he gave me his engineer rate or whatever, like his his rate. And we went in there for, you know, an evening and recorded that song there, which I thought was really cool. Like got to record in total. It's not bad, and, right? No, it was awesome. It was really great studio. <laughs> definitely, probably, I mean, you know, I haven't really been in super many studios, but that was definitely the best studio I've been in. So yeah. I mean, and then it was, you know, I'm trying to think where else we recorded. I think mostly everything else was just recorded in people's houses. I've sure. That. So yeah, I mean, and then we were able to put it together and then I mixed and mastered it all. But except for the one track Backbeat Underground did, they have a, the singer that they enlisted to play, to sing that song, Buena, a brother, Good Love. He's the lead singer of another DC band called Aztec Sun. Okay. And he also did some... Uh, not solo work, but he plays with this, or he sings with this other band called Crushed uh, Velvet and the Velveteers or something, Velveteens or something, which is, I like um, it. yeah, which is an Alan Evans project of Soul Live. So Alan Evans is the drummer of Soul Live. They were based out of Boston. And then, Al, and then they got Alan Evans to record or to, to mix the track. Yeah. So that's a cool, like, kind of Boston connection, I think, because Morphine's from Boston. And Alan's there, and I don't even know if they know about each other, but you know, he was mixing the track. That well, you got some kind of connection too. in there. That's, yeah. that's all. Yeah. I, yeah. yeah, I think it's interesting because, like, when I, when I was growing up, DC for my generation, for a lot of people, is very much punk and very much mm-hmm. like abrasive music. Yeah, angular in your in your face. All about a lot of it is is about like everybody's equal come in, like we're going to do $5 shows. We're, we're going to yeah. get uh, as many people as we can in here. But there is a whole other side of it where there's the soul, there's go-go, there's, there's all these different things that live inside of DC that yeah. I always forget about. And I, I hate myself for it, but that's <laughs> mostly because I want to listen to all the music, right? Like, yeah, right. Yeah. So <laughs> like even like I, I know Gordon Sterling's been doing jams for Ever, right? Yeah. And mm-hmm. that's a, a really cool person to to bring into this project and, and really get into everything uh, yeah. part yeah. rooted in, in DC. So I, I've known Gordon and Candace since they were in a band called Future, which played shows with the Mighty Herd back in 2008, 2009, stuff like that. And we just like stayed friends, you yeah. know, and there was definitely a musical admiration and respect going back and forth as well. And so when I, when I thought of that track, let's take a trip together. I like Gordon and Candace were once a couple as well. And I, and they, they, they've gone, you know, amicably and they still play together too. They do like solo shows together, you know, or or duo shows. But at the time I thought it would be a cool kind of avenue for them to express what, you know, may or may not be there with the, let's take a trip together. and. And I knew, and so I also knew that in the section in the middle, I wanted to jump off into kind of a psychedelic section based on sure, sure. from the sun. And Gordon, I mean, you know, he, that's definitely my first choice of anybody I would know <laughs> who wants to play some like Hendrix style stuff. And Candace did an amazing job doing some vocal ac- acrobatics in the middle of that song as well, too. And I, I had played around the time when I was talking to him about doing it and getting more in, into finishing the project or really like enlisting the people to do the project probably about four years ago at this time, three years ago, I was playing with 
the band that Gordon was playing with called Nappy Rhythm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I, I, I subbed with them and then I, I played a few shows with them and uh, that was the connection there. So I was like playing with Gordon kind of more regularly. And then I was like, Hey Gordon, I'm gonna, you know, try to get this together and we made it happen. I, and I'd, I'd always, you know, loved Candace's singing as well. So I thought that they would be good together. And, and for all the people, it kind of like worked out that way. Like the MK, MK, MK song, all wrong. He, he did, which is basically, about a relationship going all wrong. Mm-hmm. And he had like, when I hit him up, he had just gotten divorced. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So like his headspace was like, he's like, at first he said, nah, I don't know if I want to like take this on, but then he listened yeah. to the song. He's like, I think it'd actually be really like cathartic for me to yeah. do. Yeah. So he ended up like doing a really cool rendition of that, which sounds nothing like the original. And I totally put his 100% spin on it. Talk about some serendipity, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Almost a positive one, I guess. Or, <laughs> well, I guess it's kind of helped artistic. him work through it. You know? yeah, I, mean, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I don't know. That's what he said. But, you know, you know, can you ever really work fully through that kind of stuff? But, you know, hopefully. But with also like Frank Mitchell Jr., if you, anybody's ever hung out with him, Frank Mitchell, he was, he's from DC and he, mm-hmm. he played in a bunch of bands uh, like, you know, the Almighty Senators he played with. Uh, yeah. He was on tour with Fats Domino. Like he, he, he kind of became known as the saxophone player for Thievery Corporation. And then, you know, he, he plays, he played with me and he plays with me in Three Man Soul Machine. Okay. So I thought about him and anybody who knows him, like that could easily be him talking in I'm Free Now. <laughs> <laughs> like it could easily be his, his words. That he right. himself wrote, like <laughs> with all the self doubt and all that stuff. You gotta love it when <laughs> when something really speaks to you, and you're able to like have it's almost someone else's words, right? But for the most part, like they can ring true to yourself on a, a deep level, right. and then you're able to really get that out and really connect with it. And you know that's that's one of the things that makes music so impactful for people is that they can connect to it on such a bigger emotional level. Absolutely. Just like what you're saying with the, the, the dude that was going through the divorce. I mean, that's, that's an amazing thing to be able to do and to really get almost a, a, a release or some kind of relief from it too. Absolutely. And that's why people write songs, I think, in the first place. I yeah. don't think like for the majority of people, I mean, yeah, there's people writing a song because they think it's going to be a hit or whatever. But, you know, for the most part, people are writing a song coming from some, you know, emotional or mentally, you know, untouchable place mm-hmm. that they're trying to express with words or with colors, melodies and stuff like that. So, I mean, you know, I'm terrible at writing lyrics, but I write a lot of music, you know, and I think there must be something there, you know, that yeah. I'm trying to express through sounds, you know, so. For sure. Like that's, that's, I think trying to like capture an emotion through sound is, I feel like fairly difficult, but once it hits, yeah. like you're able to almost melt into it. Yeah. Like that's, that's how I feel with the, the instrumental stuff that I, I'm listening to now. Like a lot of it, you can, you can really just like sink into it and yeah. then let it, let it take you. And it's, it's nice to be able to kind of like give some of that up and, and to not like, 
have to think about all the different stuff that's going on in the world, right? Absolutely. Just escape yeah. for it. For me, the best like instrumental music sounds great. Sounds like it's perfect. It goes perfectly with whatever you're doing. Yes. So like you, it, you know, this song may evoke like a, a rainy day image, you know, at this time on a rainy day or whatever, but like, it also sounds perfect on a, a sunny day, you know, yeah. driving through the mountains or whatever, you know, like whatever you're doing, it's there with you and it's feeding some part within you that's, that's connected with what you're thinking or doing or feeling at this, at that time. So it like the it can be taken anywhere and feel just as impactful. For sure. I like that. And I I think the the ones that can like make sounds that really evoke those or something that kind of like pulls from their memory and pulls from their emotion, pulls from whatever like specific example that they might have in the back, specific memory, whatever, right? Yeah. And the ones that can like translate that to sound or lyric or or anything like that, like that's that's the bread and butter. That's that's where the the true like yeah. artistic parts come through, where they're able to really like bottle up that one scene, that one feeling, that one whatever it is, one interaction, and then you're able to be like, I felt that before. Yeah, I I'm sure. in that that position right now. Like I'm I'm ready to go for it for sure. Yeah, it's like empathetic, sort of. Yeah, yeah, you know, like trying to put into words what someone can't express themselves, and then it clicks for that person. For sure, for sure. So we talked about how, like, you you listened to that morphine record. You were just like, "This is this is it." Was the the contents of the morphine record something that really like struck with you, and that's what really like kept you going back to that band? The content of the of the lyrics, yeah, yeah. I mean, I also, you know, I found the album when I was with a girl, and then we we had broken up after that. And I mean, there was definitely music that. I was listening to around that time that I definitely remember and Cure for Pain was one of them for sure. But I think that that music is not just for, you know, the breaking up or whatever. Mm-hmm. I think it's the, the, the sentiment of someday there'll be a cure for pain. That's the day I'll throw my drugs away. Yeah. You know, is kind of like always there, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like that's, Kind of, that's life in a gym. And, and I mean, I don't know, maybe Sandman found the meaning of life or something right there, but like, you know, <laughs> definitely a current that runs through it, you know, is like, and that sentiment kind of runs through the whole album because he's telling you about all these things that have be, made him hurt or been painful mm-hmm. for him, you know, and all these different sort of like ups and downs of his life. And I think that any time you listen to that, and especially with like the instrumental bookends of the album yeah. as well, like I don't know, it just kind of like it brings you in, and then it it kind of like nicely just fades you out, and like then you're back to reality. You know, it's like it's like a, a movie or something. You know, yeah. like something or a book, something that just like draws you in. You're there, and it's not. It's not wavering at all. It's very intent on what it's doing. And then it it lets you go like 
and back to your little, you know, whatever, <laughs> what you've been doing. And, you know, and I think that that was something that made it an album listen to me. Yeah. You yeah. know, because I would always, and, you know, I had the, I, I had pirated it, you know, when I got it. And then, but then I bought the record and I, I mean, I, I love vinyl and stuff. So I, I, I have a decent vinyl collection. So I had to get Cure for Pain on vinyl, especially after I decided that I was going to cover the album. The whole for album. sure. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. So then I was like, you know, I got to have it. So, so then whenever, so that's just like, whenever I listen to it now, I usually don't listen to that, the original, like in the car or yeah. whatever. I, I put on the album and I listen to it. And it's just like, you know, an immersive sort of thing. Yeah. And so that's, I think that's what kept me coming back to it is that as a full 38 minutes or whatever it is, like it's, I don't know, you're just like transported and uh, very kind of like along the, along this ride that where you're feeling all these different emotions and you're feeling what he's feeling and you're feeling the, the, the push and pull of the music. Yeah. And it's and then it and then it leaves you off. And a lot of albums don't do that. A lot of albums don't like say, okay, this is the end. Now you're back. Like, you know, they just like kind of end. Or, you know, someone's saying something and then it's over. It's but like with the instrumentals on the on either side of it, it's just, I don't know. I just think it becomes a whole nother thing. If those instrumentals weren't there, I think it might be it would still be a great album. But I don't think it would I don't know. It's just weird. This it's only I mean, we're talking about 25 seconds worth of music, you know? On yeah. Hand. Yeah. Like. It is. It is it, it's a little odd. Like it, it, it really does like bring you in. It like fades in, but then it, it like resolves real nicely. Right. Like that's, yes, exactly. I, I think, I think that's what it is. Like it resolves real nicely. And it is this one compact, almost story, right? Like right, this right. whole compact emotional journey through everything. Yeah. But I, I like that. I like that idea. And, because that's that's what always draws me to a record. Like if you're able to front to back it, where you you don't get that opportunity that much nowadays, for sure. Yeah. yeah. But there are still some that I, I listen to, and I'm just like, I can't skip any song. Yeah. And it's great, but I, I don't have 45 minutes. But do I have 45 <laughs> minutes? I think I do. I yeah. think this is going to be like my whole day. So it's yeah. going to happen. And the ones that like make you immediately turn it back on and immediately like flip it back. Yeah. Those are, yeah. those are the ones that you know that just like stuck with you. Yeah. I would do that with the care for pain record a lot too. It would be over and I would just turn it over and put it on yeah. again. Like, and just, and then, but then I wouldn't be like, okay, well I have to listen to it all the way through. I might just <laughs> listen to the first side or I might just go back to the second side and starts with in spite of me and just like follow that through, you know, it's like. That's you know. happened to me so many times where like, I, I get a song stuck in my head and it's just off of this one one thing. And then I'm just like, well, I'll listen to that. And then next thing I know, I'm finishing the whole thing. Yeah. Because <laughs> you can't not. Like it, it's, it's almost like a compulsory action at, at that point where you're right. just like, this is, this is it. Like this is all my feelings for the next 20 minutes. Like, this is fantastic. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I mean, and, I, and I'm like that, that can bring you in like that. I don't know. I mean, I, I haven't listened to a full album other than just instrumental music that's been coming out because like I generally I I slowed down on buying the vinyl, basically. Yeah. So like now and like I used to DJ a little bit more and when okay. I and when it was coming back, 
before COVID and everything, I would I would be doing a lot more vinyl gigs as well. Like I started off doing vinyl when did the whole Serato thing and everything. And then now, and then I, I came back and I was playing a lot more vinyl. And so certain things would fit in what I would want to get to play. And it was always like instrumental or like some kind of newer soul or something. Right, right. And those are, those are you know, good albums for sure. But like there hasn't been an album for me. I can't, like I'm trying to think right now and it's it's too bad because like I haven't, you know, I can't think of a full album where I've been like, okay, yeah, I want to flip it over again and listen to it. Yeah, you know? it's it's been a minute for me. Like I I always go back to the the older albums that I, I've been in love with forever. Like I I just listened to there's there's a band called Paper Rival that has a couple EPs but only one full length, uh-huh. and I think it's amazing. And I've listened to that probably about five times in the past two days. Nice. And I just, I can't, I can't, once it's in my head, I can't get it out. So I just like, all right, well, we're going to do this cycle for a while and yeah. it's going to be great. It's going to be a good experience every single time. And it's, it, it's so tough to find that just because of the way that, that people make music for the most part right now and the way yeah. that the internet has taken over so much on it and, and just yeah. the way that there's, the marketing to think about and all all the other stuff with it. Exactly. I, I should note uh, that um, the last Slanch Janeiro Rangaz album that we put out, <laughs> that that album has been in my... It hasn't left my CD player in my car for <laughs> since April when it came out. So It's pretty solid. So that, I would I listen to that you know, over and over and over and over again. And that's like I said, that guy records everything himself and he recorded all those tracks himself and it's it's just an amazing album. I think that, and that's something that, you know, another thing, he recorded it kind of to be an album. There's a lot of themes that run through it, rhythmic themes and, yeah. and melodic themes and instrumentation and stuff like that. And and lyrically, some some definitely recurring things. And I think that's that's one of the reasons why it sounds like a full you know, 12 songs or 11 songs, it sounds like one thing instead of just a song here. And I, you know, I, 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 I kind of tend to listen to longer songs anyway. I like longer songs. Okay. Sometimes a two minute, two and a half minute song. I'm, I, I would listen to that song again, but then, yeah. you know, if it's a, if it's a single, I would be like, okay, well now I want to hear it more. Or whatever, so it's almost but, always like a tease, right? Like yeah, it exactly. almost always. I don't like the yeah. I don't like the way that. <laughs> well, a lot of times when I when I see that a band has released a new single, a band that I'm like, you know, I'm a, I, I like or whatever. Like the last band I remember doing it was Duran Jones and the Indications. They just had an album come out, okay. and they released a single and or two maybe before the album came out. And I just didn't listen to them. I'm like, I'm gonna listen to the album when it comes out. And I, I and like maybe I'll know that those two songs are were the ones they picked or whatever, but like in general, I just want to hear the album. I'm not gonna like spoil it, you know, by listening yeah. to the single. So it's almost like no spoilers for a movie, right? Like it's, <laughs> that's kind of how I view it or whatever. Yeah, no, nothing. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> it's strange, but I it's like the complete it seems to be the complete opposite mentality that everyone else has. I don't know. Well, it's it is interesting <laughs> because there there are some like I interviewed this band from the Virginia Beach area called Audio Strobe Light. And what their goal was, was to make each song its own world. So to create Ooh. this whole experience out of each song, 
And I don't know if they're they're actually like making a full album anytime soon, but that's their approach for every song. So everything that they do. Everything they they do. Not yeah. just for an album or whatever. But wow. Right. So I at least that's what they're they're going for now, right? So everything that they're doing for that song is just world building for that song. So maybe wow. there's a video for it. There's merch possibly right. for it. Wow. There's this whole like uh, media strategy for it. But everything's contained into that one song. And then they just repeat the cycle over and over. Interesting. So it's a it's a completely different way to approach music for sure and the business of music. But I like just like what you and I were talking about, I miss the full album experience for sure. Yeah. And and seeing because that I always thought that was like the full realized vision. Exactly. Sometimes. Unless you have like a band that was like, this is our single and it's just everything else is terrible after that. Um, that's, or that's like worse. just regurgitations of that one yeah, song. Yeah. 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 So I, I understand what you're saying as far as like, I don't want to get it spoiled because I, I actually like that idea. Yeah. There's, there's some other, there's some other folks that I've listened to their music and I've I got the snippets of that one single here, one single there. But I want to know what the, the full, Thing sounds like I also want to know what the order of songs are because mm-hmm. I feel like putting your songs in a specific order, which yeah. ones to close out with, which ones to build up to, Absolutely. that's just as important as mm-hmm. just releasing the the full album. I feel like yeah, yeah, absolutely. A lot of time is spent on the past re- original releases that we've done on figuring out the correct song order, and you know even leaving a song or two off the album just to, just to make it flow better or whatever you know yeah. there's a lot of a lot of things cuz that's that's always what we're thinking about we're thinking about it as one project one you know like you said like a vision like one mm-hmm. thing that you're going to ingest you know who knows if people listen to it that way or not you know i mean and in some parts it's just necessity like we just put out a three song ep from three man soul machine because those were the three songs that we had finished in a somewhat finished state before the pandemic. And we just yeah. wanted to get them out, you know, but it's three originals and, you know, it's like, you know, it can be seen as its own thing, you know, or you can listen to one song here and one song there, but for the way that it's, you know, for the way that it is to bring attention to it, it's, like you now because of how the industry has kind of changed mm-hmm. to being like single oriented you release a single here you release a single a few weeks or a month later mm-hmm. maybe a third one and then the and then the full album and then people should you know have told their friends or whatever about the two or three songs they've heard already and then want to cop the whole album yeah but it's like you know whether or not it works like that you know, if people are just going to listen to those three songs that they already heard or whatever, you know, who knows? But I think with an album like this, with The Cure for Pain, it's like each song is its own thing, you know, because right. it's it's 11 different artists or 13 different artists, you know, it's like the, the different sound it jumps around genre-wise. There's something, you know, that like people that, you know, this The Cure for Pain song, the 6-8 soul ballad that is like, you know, crushed by Deborah Bond, like singing in the, so good. In the vocal style is sandwiched in between a garage rock song and a, and a punk rock song. You know yeah, what I mean? Like, yeah. so like if you're listening to it all the way through, you may, then you may, may not be what you want to hear, you know? 
But like, you know, that's the whole point. You know, it kind of takes you on this journey throughout genres, throughout like time periods and stuff like that. And, you know, that's where I wanted to go with it. I didn't want it to be one, one thing. I wanted it to be a comp. A combination of all the different things that come together, and you know, and and also be listened to as one full thing as well. But if you're if you're just into wanting to hear garage rock or whatever, then you can hear you know that, or you can hear this other thing. You just want to hear the ambient instrumentals. We got that yeah. for you, you know, like stuff like that. You can just like listen to that, and then hopefully you'll find the music from the other from the people that have recorded it on it. And listen to their other music because if you like the way that they did this song, maybe you like their original music, you know, stuff like that. And also, I just wanted to bring more light to Morphine and their music, yeah, <laughs> and their music because, like, like you know, I mean, it, it may be six out of ten people who know about Morphine that I've talked to or something, you know, and yeah, even the people on on that are on the album, some of them didn't know about Morphine before, you know, that hearing the song that I wanted them to record. Yeah, it's it's weird. I feel like there there was obviously so many bands in that area or in that time frame that got much more exposure, but they've always been like slightly on the fringe of it, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's like I haven't thought about them for years because there was there was a time that I just dove into as much music as I could to try to just consume it all, right? Mm-hmm. And now that I've grown, 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 now that I've grown <laughs> older, I've I've realized that I only like stick to whatever my tastes are at this moment. Sure. Like I was saying, like I, I I don't even listen to like all the soul stuff that I, I love listening to because mm-hmm. I'm just so like insulated. I feel yeah. like, and it's it's tough to like remember everything that's around you, and and but when you do, when you pick up that that tune that was just like oh i've listened to that oh this is fantastic these guys were in the 90s i, I don't even remember these this is amazing <laughs> like it was also like a pretty distinct style at least for that record i think Absolutely. compared to most of the other stuff too that was that around was out that at time. that time right yeah, yeah exactly yeah i mean that was around at any time really <laughs> yeah. their, their 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 sound is so unique and you know the I mean, just having their instrumentation as being a baritone saxophone, a one string bass and a drums, it's like, you know, what? <laughs> exactly. It shouldn't work, but it does. And like, it works so well is the thing. And that like every song that they do, like, and Sandman has all these solo songs that he did. And like, they, they put out a, a thing after he died that was kind of a retrospective of his recordings. And yeah. it's just amazing. Like, there's there's some more stuff like the in spite of me where it's just guitar and like another instrument with him mm-hmm. singing and then there's other stuff with a flush, flushed out full band with like keyboards and stuff and then you know there's it's like i mean it, it, the, he comes from a band called treater right i don't know if you know about that no so treater right was him and then one of the other drummer one of the original drummers from morphine that is basically kind of like like a blues band okay. they they basically played like like early like john spencer blues explosion or like okay cool like cool, kind cool. of in this really raw style yeah, of, yeah yeah of like just rocking and just being like like 
Howlin' Wolf reincarnated by like some <laughs> white Boston guys. You know what I mean? I, like, I mean, I'm not going to say no to it, right? Like, I, I, I do, I do like that whole idea. Yeah, uh, I just but, don't need him to to talk in that Boston accent. I just need him to sing in it. I feel like right? just singing. Yeah. but they, you know, and it was very like very visceral and very just like you know, kind of like I don't know what else to describe it as. It was like not like the white stripes because there it was it was just more like guttural and stuff like more and they had much more layers to it you know yeah and so they did they did one or two two or two or three records like two records or an ep or something like okay that. and then he kind of got bored of doing that and wanted to do this other thing and bringing the saxophone into it and the way that he wrote in this kind of stream of consciousness sort of thing it it, it just went over it perfectly and more people should know about it. I don't know. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, yeah. It's it's also refreshing to hear someone that is such like a, a fan of music and like a, a knowledgeable fan of music, especially of like one particular band, because that's like your your baby almost, right? Like this is <laughs> this is everything like that that means something to you. So you're going to find out as much as possible as you can. You're going to go into I I can't tell you how much Fugazi-esque stuff that I went into when I was younger, trying mm-hmm. to just find everything that I could that that started and then eventually finding like 77 punk and just all oh, yeah. the the waves that came after that and just going in and and finding all yeah. these weird bands and in, in the in the crevices of it and just enjoying life. But you don't oh, I don't yeah, feel sure. like you you hear the the passion out of most most folks that talk about it because there's just so much to choose from mm. and there's so many different directions that you can go in and there's so many different like feelings that that kind of like hit you on on certain spectrums i feel like so yeah. it is for me it's refreshing to hear someone like yourself that is really dedicated to preserving morphine to getting them more exposure and to have it be interpreted in a way that that makes it to where it's a little bit more fresh there's a different look for it that mm-hmm. now you're exposing not only the the people that could listen to it on the record but also the musicians that you're working with like that's fantastic yeah. thanks man really really proud of trying to trying to undertake that for the last eight years or whatever <laughs> it's also nice to know that uh, I'm not the only one that that takes forever to start a project. Like I, I had (laughs) the idea for this show, I think for three years before I recorded my first show. And then I sat on that for about six to nine months. Before you edited it and put it out. Yeah. 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 So it's been, uh, it's been a journey. Well, we'll say I've definitely turned a corner. I've definitely turned a corner. Like I, I used to be, I mean, like I said, the mighty hurt album that we recorded 2009, 2010. Like I was, I would kind of like leave things up to other people, you know, or like just be like, you know, someone else to take care of there. Or like, sure. I really, I really wanted their input though. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't like, oh, I don't want somebody else to do it. It was like, no, like I'm waiting for someone else's input or like waiting for this, waiting for that, waiting for artwork, waiting for this. Yeah. And now I'm just like, okay, well, I want to be able to do this. So well, I'm going to do it, you know, or I'm going to get the people I'm going to, have the people in mind to do it. And then I'm going to make sure that they do it, you know, like, and if they can't do it, then I'll find someone else to do it. 
And so that's kind of how Grover Productions has ended up being just me, like basically. Like I have a few people that I rely and trust on when I'm like bouncing mixes off of them or sure. I've sent a couple things to mastering for other people. But for the most part, like I do all the artwork, I do all the mixing, I do all the mastering, I do, you know, all the scheduling, I do, you know, That's for a lot so of things. so much for what recording. Well, I mean, it's it, when you look at what we've recorded and what we've done, I mean, it's maybe if you looked at it as all one lump thing, but, you know, I have two kids, I have a wife, you know, yeah. I'm like, you know, I, I don't feel like I'm like burning the candle or whatever, but like, I feel, you know, I feel like I'm working at a good pace and I feel good about what I've been able to accomplish. So that's excellent. It, yeah. it feels probably pretty good to be productive, I feel like, right? And to not just yeah. sit on things. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, the, that's probably the main thing about it is that I don't want to just have things just wallowing away on my hard drive. Like, if it's out there, I don't care if anybody listens to it or doesn't listen to it, but at least it's out there. And if someone yeah. wants to listen to it, it's there. You know what I mean? If someone wanted to listen to it and it's on my hard drive, there's no way that they could listen to it. <laughs> right. So there's, there's not unless they go into your house and just steal it. <laughs> Please don't um, steal my hard drive. <laughs> so many unfinished songs on there. <laughs> and even now, I mean, you know, we're talking about this iceberg basically, because there's this stuff that yeah. up here that's like that was released or whatever. And like, you know, but then there's all this down here that's, you know, in the works. So I mean <laughs> some forever in the works. It is it yeah. is funny that I always find I think musicians more than any 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 artists, so to speak, is that a lot of them are perfectionists and they continue to just tinker and mm-hmm. tinker and tinker and don't yeah. let it go out. Like That's like a- like what you're asking about or saying with you know, waiting for feedback or or you know, hey, should this work with this or whatever? Instead of kind of like trusting your own instinct a little bit and just being like, yeah, this is good. Because that voice inside of you says, mm, try again. And we'll, we'll yeah. go back to it later. Absolutely. But I, I, I think breaking through that is probably the, one of the most important pieces for a musician, especially to just be like, okay, it's out. I need to mm-hmm. put this out. Someone yep. can listen to it. And even if it's a, a demo or, or whatever, it can still continue to be to work on mm-hmm. later. Yeah. Like you can still get feedback and it, it can be like a, an actual continuous loop of feedback rather than, oh, I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. Exactly. Because while you're waiting, you know, someone else will come up with the same exact idea and yeah. put it out and actually get it done and put it out. And like you're, you'd be sitting there. That's really, that was one of the impetuses of getting this out. Like really, I didn't like the, the 25th anniversary of the Cure for. And I really wanted, and I was like crossing my fingers that no one would actually come up with the idea <laughs> and put it out during that time. <laughs> because like, if someone did that, like if like I was talking about Spin Magazine or Uncut or like, you know, even like a smaller, you know, yeah. magazine or something, if they wanted, because I mean, they want to be past anybody to really do it. People who really, this album means a lot to a lot of people. Someone would have done it. And so like, you know, I'm just, I'm very proud that we were able to get all the people here from DC and, you know, all the people that really came and involved into it. As you talk about the uh, artistic thing, the they made me think of painters mm-hmm. and how a lot of times they'll just throw it up there however they're feeling at the moment and turn around, frame it and like, you know, send it. <laughs> and like that's like, you know, kind of how it works. And actually the guy that we got to do the 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 cover art okay. works like that. And he I learned after the fact he's done 
cover art for Pavement and Silver Jews and really uh, a number of other bands. Yeah. And he, he's this guy, Steve Keen is his name. And I, I swear I saw his art on the street in New Orleans. Okay. But like he does this thing where he sets up like eight canvases, like four and four on one on up top and four down below. And he'll just make the same stroke on each canvas, the same whatever, and then go back all, all eight canvases and then go back and do a different stroke all, all over again. And then until you have a complete picture. And so his, he's, <laughs> he's not painting one picture at a time. He's painting eight. You know That's what I mean? insane. Yeah, I know. It's nuts. So, but, and a lot of what he does is album art reproductions. Like, okay. So, so he's done, I mean, name an album and he's done it. So I just like hit it. I hit him up. I found his website on it. I found his email on his website. And I just, you know, on a lark, I was just like, maybe he'll want to do it. And I hit him up. I said, have you ever done Cure for Pain? And he said, because, uh, and I told him, you know, because I'm working on this thing. And mm-hmm. I, I, that was around the same time that I hit up the Morphine members. So I had the preview. Gotcha. Okay. 20 seconds of each song ready to go. So I sent it to him and I told him I was doing it for charity. And uh, he hit me back within a few days and he was just like, what's your address? <laughs> like, he didn't even like say anything else. He was just like, what's your address? Like, oh, well, <laughs> here's my address. Can I offer you anything <laughs> or whatever? And he was, no, we're good. And then within a few weeks, like he sent me two of the of the paintings. Like he, I guess he did two instead of eight at this time. You know, one. <laughs> really, really cutting some corners. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, it was a beautiful reproduction rendition of it. And I think it captures the the colors, you know, because the original one is kind of dark. It's kind yeah. of like a sunset or like, you know, clouds, like a storm or something. And, but this one is much brighter. And I, I, I like that about it. And I don't know, it's just like, it was, it kind of just, it just like worked out somehow. I don't know. <laughs> that's gotta be a, an amazing experience. Just like some dude that that's definitely done probably some really, really popular albums that have been around for, for payment, probably for decades at this point. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> which is just incredible. So that I, I like that. I think, I think that works out really well. And the fact that he was just like, yeah, we're good. Don't worry about it. Yeah, exactly. Like, that's so cool. <laughs> I mean, I sent him the album, you know, when I was done with it, you know, the, yeah. the links or whatever. And I didn't hear anything back, but, you know, I mean, he's busy. I'm sure he's doing stuff. And I, they, around three or four months ago, the Kickstarter campaign propped up to get an art book written about him. Oh, and it's yeah, not, and great. it wasn't associated with him. I mean, it, it was somebody that knows him, but he didn't sure. like start to do the book. So, I mean, someone's trying to, you know, keep his work from just, I mean, he's done thousands of art render, album art renderings. Like it's amazing. And he's also done a lot of other very interesting work. He mostly just paints on plywood and like some of the things he'll like cut out and make different shapes. And, you know, you have me like wanting to just live a whole new life at this point. Like like listen to, to all this different music that I haven't listened to in years maybe you can uh, send me some of the uh, the metal you know instrumental stuff you're into. Yeah, I, love, yeah, yeah. I love stuff like that i i really do there's a lot of a lot of cool stuff that i found that's like along that lines that may be a bit wimpier than you're listening to but <laughs> maybe maybe uh, a lot of the stuff that is is very very moody and uh melodic so yeah, yeah. It, it helps and it like i said do, it do, really... do you know the do you know the samuel jackson five no 
No, they're, I don't know if they're still around or not, but they did like three or four or five albums. Maybe they're great. They're like, that's kind of my go-to for that kind of stuff. I mean, and uh, it's all instrumental. I think, yeah, I think it's all instrumental. And then there's another band I found out somewhat recently about called Cougar. That's along the lines too, with more of like a punk sort of thing happening. I'm writing it down. I'm taking notes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just really like the Samuel Jackson Five name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Me too. That's how. I mean, you know, you 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 find music all sorts of different ways, but that was definitely something that drew me to it. Was the name. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we're we're gonna wrap up here in a, in a minute, but I got two questions to kind of close it out with. Um, awesome. the, the first one is, what do you think that you've learned most about yourself throughout your music journey, especially? But especially with this album and, and this recording with that. Yeah, man. Well, I mean, I think I just kind of touched on it with the fact that I, I said that I turned a corner. I think yeah. with the Mighty Herd album and, and being bent to get that out after 10 years and this album, which has been in the works for you know, that, like I said, that demo was in 2013. Yeah. But I think I, I started enlisting people to do it four years ago, you know, 2018, 19. Just like being more focused and know what I want, you know? And at this point, knowing how to get it done. Yeah. Like there was many times when I knew kind of what I wanted. Like, you know, I want this music here, whatever I wanted it to be, whatever, you know, I've, I've hit up a lot of licensing things. I've like sent out, like I'm trying to get music licensed mm-hmm. and all this stuff. And it's finally able to turn the corner with that. I, I got a license in 2019 or something for a song that came out on my solo album, 2018. Nice. Yeah. Which was, you know, it's just like that. I think, I think that probably gave me a lot of confidence about it, but then like being able to know how to do it and the avenues by which to do it, I think has really been the, the, the corner that I've, that I've turned on now. And that now I'm just like, especially with this album being able, I kind of like people have always told me that I've like, you know, kind of been an organizer of sorts mm-hmm. of people and like been able to get people involved and do things and stuff like that. And like, you know, I never really took them seriously, but being able to corral this, I mean, when you look at it or yeah. when I look at it and look at the track list, I'm like, oh yeah, you know, I was able to really get these people together and complete this. And like, that's, I think that's what I've learned most is just being able to execute the things that are, you know, in my brain. Kind of like a, a synergy of ideas and skills and actual confidence now that that yeah. it's there that you've had some of those success a little bit, right? Yeah. And I mean, you know, success is so relative. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I, you know, I mean, you know, I would love to be playing more. I would love to be DJing more. I would love to be, you know, recording more. I would love, but, you know, at this point in my life, you know, I have a almost one-year-old and a, and a almost four-year-old and, you know, my wife and I are part owners of a business and, you know, it's just like, we're, you know, as, as it is, this is how Grover Productions can be. And I'm very happy with just how, how it is. Being able to do this 
you know, on my quote unquote free time instead yeah. of like, you know, I don't know, playing video games or something, <laughs> you know, or what, not to knock people just play video games, but like, you know, I, I feel, okay. I feel, <laughs> I feel like, you know, I'm like being able to be productive in something that's emotionally a release, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, that's, and the, the Cure for Pain album has been, the Mighty Hurt album was like, that's how I, when we, the release day came, I was like, this is a release in the most <laughs> like literal way. And for this album, especially like September 10th, I will feel definite release of this album. That's fantastic. I, I really like that. I know. So I did concerts. So I, I was always the dude organizing and always behind the scenes because I, I like to be able to support and I don't necessarily need any kind of like spotlight. Like totally. the, none of that is important to me, but shining lights on other people and and trying to help out, you know, your your friends, your your folks that like have impacted you in a, in a way because their music kind of speaks to you. Like that that's always been the most important part. But I stopped doing shows. My last one I think was in 2014, and there was a big while of just like not doing anything, just working, just going through there, mm-hmm. and then. I thought that I've listened to all the the music in the world. So I started <laughs> listening to podcasts and I was like, if, if these white guys can like get people to listen to them, I can certainly get like 50. Like that'd be yeah, fine. Right? But it was, it was very much that like release of, of just like that quote unquote artistic expression. Right. Like that was, that was yeah. definitely doing shows and, and, being able to choose lineups and being able to see the bands that I wanted to see and, and like bring everything together. That was definitely my own like idea of artistic expression. I was able totally. to bring everything together and, and get it out that way. And doing the the show now is kind of like that same itch, but there was a while that it just felt like something was missing, but that, that mm-hmm. there wasn't anything in there. And that's, that's, tough to do to try to like break your yourself away from that and continue to like actually do something that you almost feel good about. Right. So what's the the business that you have? My wife and I are part owners of a grocery store and it's a small grocery store with beer and wine and prepared foods. That's called That's awesome. Odd Provisions in Columbia Heights. Okay. And, you know, we started it. It was just Two of us and our business partner and her boyfriend. It was just the four of us, basically, with a couple employees. And we've been going for over five years now. That's amazing. Um, Yeah, it's great. We have a great location. (laughs) And we kind of, you know, like I wouldn't say we locked into it because the main business owner is a hawk and she was on top of it. And, uh, but uh, yeah, so we've been very, very lucky to do that. It's just like not your normal nine to five sort of job, Mm -hmm. but, you know, we all worked in kitchens or bars or restaurants, so it's that's never your your normal job anyway. No, so we're we're but this is is even like we close at nine o'clock. So I mean, you know, at least then you know it's not a bar. You know, you know, you're not going to be there until right. four in the morning. Right. But like you know, so that's it's it's great to have done that. And we were there for the whole first year, and then we had our first baby, and then like the store was like my wife jokes. This the store was our first baby, and then we had our. <laughs> first actual kid a year after the store was open. Then everyone was able to take like a small step back, but still we're like very much, especially my wife is like very much there 
That's fantastic. So what do you think keeps you driven to continue to pursue music despite all the things that you have to juggle then? Yeah. Another great question. I mean, (laughs) how do you continue to drive to play music? I mean, it's like, or to produce music or, I mean, it's just, it's, it's that desire to just get it out. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's, it's there. And I, I honestly, I'd have no idea what else I'd be doing. I mean, like it, there's, there's, I mean, I, 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 I could just easily be just working in a bar or a restaurant or just doing the job or whatever, but then like, what would I be doing? You know, I, I, my, the, my self-worth or whatever, my, the way that I view myself and all that stuff is so much tied into my, my music and not just like my music, but the music of the people that I'm involved in and just the history of music. And like, you know, I just want to, have an outlet for that, you know, like the way that I think that I just keep getting inspired by music that I hear and then want to create something based on those inspirations. And then that drives me to write a new song or to enlist, talk to somebody else about, Hey, let's do this or, you know, stuff like that. And I think it's just like this kind of cyclical thing that happens where you're already in it. And then that the feedback loop just keeps, you know, keeps you in momentum. And like, I don't know. I don't even like think about it. I'm just like, okay, I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to work on this or like a, something's going through my head during the day and I got to get it down on my recorder or something. You know, it's just like, I don't know. And I'm not even like out there, you know, yeah. there's musicians that I know that just like eat, breathe their own, their own instrument and like, you know, my instrument, uh, yeah, I'm a drummer. I play drums mostly, but like, you know, I also play other instruments, keys, guitar, bass, yeah, and a little harmonica here and there and stuff. But like, you know, I don't, there's people like saxophone players or trumpet players or, or piano players that I know where like they literally do nothing else all day. They would forget to eat, you know, if it wasn't for them. They're just like so ingrained. The music is, is their life. And I mean, for me, I, if I didn't have kids or something like that, maybe, mm-hmm. or a wife, maybe I would be somewhere else. Like, just like, you know, only doing music. Ocean. Right. Yeah. yeah. Just with the longest beard anybody's ever seen recording <laughs> music all day. But I mean, you know, I, I would know that I'm not that good at it that way. I would be like, oh, I don't know. I can't really hack it on my own. You know, I need this support system. And, and that definitely helps me to continue going the support system that I have with my wife and my friends. Yeah, and the other musicians that I play with, you know, that keep calling me to to play. So, I mean, that's and to to keep going with Grover Productions is basically like just to keep getting me, my music, and my friends' music out there. And uh, every now and then, someone will come to me and say, "Hey, you know, I have this music. Like, can we get it out?" And like, you know, I listen to it first, and I would say, and then I I give them a yeah or nay, and you know, we try to get it, make it happen if it's if it's go. But like for the most part, it's just like people that I already know and people that I trust. And then I'm saying, okay, let's let's try to get it out. And then I do everything for it, you know, try to get it out. I um, love it. I, I think that's it, man. That's a, a good way to end mm-hmm. it. So I appreciate course, it. Yeah.